0: Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Sturkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Well, all right, good morning. Good to see you today. Thank you for being here at the Church at Sturkey Hills. Y'all look good at round tables. This is funny, though. We got like empty seats right here in the front. We got two rows on each side in the back, chock full sitting in laps. I don't know what that is. The heroes right here, front row, you can't run, you're in spitting distance, you're in trouble. Hey, I'm so glad that you're here. Now, we're in Exodus chapter 7, if you've got a Bible or device, open it up, if you don't, we'll put it on the screen behind us as we travel through this thing, but as we look into Exodus chapter 7, i got to let you know what's going on in the life of the church. God is doing some really cool stuff in the life of your church, our church here, and let me just kind of recap it. Uh, Right after the turn of the new year, on Tuesday of that week, we had a young man in our uh, church family. Uh, who had a very serious uh, surgery behind his ear at Vanderbilt. It's like an 11-hour surgery. And that was on like Tuesday of the week before last. And last Sunday, I showed up, and he was here. He wasn't supposed to be here. He was supposed to be like recovering. And God's just healing him. It's beautiful. And then last Sunday, we baptized 11 people, four of which were four generations of one family. That goes over most people's head. I joke about it. You can't even fabricate that. Most people don't have four generations that they know or like enough to come to church, let alone get into baptistry. And so it's a really big deal. God is doing some crazy things. And so then last night, we had our, our men's event, and the guest speaker, who's Ot Defoe, the uh, angler, uh, won the Bassmaster Championship a couple years ago. And, and he asked me, he says, man, this is really good. How many of these have you done? I said, well, if you count this one, it would be one okay? And it was awesome. We had about 300 people last night. <clears throat> Just a whole bunch of men showed up from all over the place, and it was a sweet night. And if you missed it, fooey on you, you missed a cool thing, all right? Because when men show up and dive in, something happens. You know, if you if you take your family to the pool, the kids get in, they splash around. The mom might get in, not at my house, but uh, in, in some houses, the mom might get in the water, make a little splash. But the kids are always screaming for dad to get in the water, you know, and he goes off the board. And when he goes in in, in the deep end, Man, he makes a splash, you know what I'm saying? And it's true in the pool and it's true in this, this spiritual world, in your family, in the church, when men get in the game and are willing to jump in the deep end with both feet, it makes a splash, it changes things in culture, changes things in our family. So men, I want to encourage you, God has given you the responsibility for your family. And you can shuck it, you can put it on your wife, you can walk away from it, but it's, it's in your lap and God holds you accountable uh for it for it now all that being said that's cool right well it's not over god is still doing things in the church and quite honestly i don't know what he's going to do next but it's going to be cool because he's god so i got to tell you this one so last sunday i preached a message if you were here you'll remember it's called who's your pharaoh and in this message in the first part of chapter 7 of of the book of exodus in the old testament thirty five hundred years ago a god gives this simple instruction of what evangelism looks like what somebody finding god looks like And, and 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 the components of the equation are very simple he starts out he says somebody's watching and somebody's listening. Now, he identifies the first part of the equation. This is the person who doesn't know God. This is the person who is out there on their own rejecting God, okay? And that's the Pharaoh. And we identify that, that, that they're in our life. We have Pharaohs in our life, people who don't just know God yet. And then he goes on and he says, now, now, I want to show you something. He says, people are watching, people are listening. He said, and meanwhile, there's somebody working behind the scenes, and then there's somebody going to do some saving." some some redeeming and he points to himself he says I am the primary part of the equation you can't take me out of the middle of it and it happened he said I do the work not you and he says I do the saving it's not you pressure's off you can just live for me and and just let me do my thing now he identifies after that the the third part of the equation and that is people who are willing willing to obey and just simply tell God's story that's cool that's you that's where you come in now, I preach that message. It's a, it's a great message, not because I preach it, because that's what God said, and God's stuff is cool. So last Sunday, as soon as the service was over, we got a young family in our church, close friends of mine, and many of yours as well, have Ben and Kari Downs. And they have a couple of amazing little boys. They have Cooper, and they have Josiah. Now, Cooper had already made a profession of faith. He's followed Jesus in baptism, been through his discipleship guide. He's in the fifth grade. Meanwhile, their little, his little brother, Josiah, he's in the third grade, and he's like cool about it. He'll talk about Jesus, but he just ain't ready to be saved yet. You know, he's not a thing. And so Ben and Kari left church and they looked at each other and said, I know, I know who our pharaoh is. It's J-Man. That's what they call him. It's J-Man. That's our pharaoh. So last Sunday night, they go home and Ben gets in bed with Cooper, telling him his Bible story. And, Kari's with Josiah, the younger one, and he's telling the Bible story. The Bible story, Jesus hadn't even showed up yet. She was talking about Exodus, okay? And he started crying. Josiah started crying. She's like, buddy, you got some heavy feelings right here? He goes, yeah. And she said, everything okay? He said, yeah. And she said, well, what do you think's the matter? You think maybe it's the Holy Spirit? Yeah. He said, I need to get saved tonight. She got on the phone. She texted Ben, you need to get up in here, Okay. Now let me tell you something, this is so cool. I was talking to Ben about, Ben and Carrie called me on conference call and they were telling me this beautiful story about Josiah being saved, their little boy, right? And Ben made the the, the the strangest comment. He says, we didn't have to do anything. That's right. We don't do anything. It's not ours to do. God is the one working. God is the one saving. That little boy who needed Jesus was their Pharaoh. And all it took was that Third part of the equation, them committing to doubling down on their little J-man telling them about Jesus. And I want you to know that's the way it works. And when you and when I get serious about championing, uh, telling God's love story to the world, and we have given you this little guide, rescue guide to help you, God will meet you. It's funny, I said that in the sermon. I said, listen, if you commit and go to where God wants you to be to tell his story, he's already there waiting for you to get there. He's already at work behind the scenes. He's doing some saving work He just wants you to obey. So I want to encourage you with that. Find your Pharaoh and tell God's love story. And so God is doing great things in the life of our church. And quite honestly, I have no idea what, uh, what He's going to do next. But I do want to do this. Last night, I mentioned the men's conference. Ben Rayfield just championed that whole thing. Now, he's got a team that helped him some, but he really took it by the horns. And I just want to show some love for Ben Rayfield and for the men who made that happen last night. And if you missed it, I'm going to go ahead and let you know. We're doing it again next year. So you can put it on your calendar. You say, when do I need to put it on my calendar? Next year. That's when we're having it. we don't know yet. It's going to be next year. So we want you to be here. It's going to be bigger. It's going to be better. We had to do that because the women are always doing great stuff. You know? And so it's like a little competition, you know? The men had to come in strong and they did. So it was really cool. Now, uh, we're going to look today. We're going to move today from who is your Pharaoh to who is your God. All right sometimes we're afraid to champion the love story of God to the pharaohs in our world the hard-hearted the ones who don't want to hear it and that's okay but the reason we're afraid is we don't really know God we forget the greatness of who God is and this is not new you see Abraham didn't really know the greatness of God when God said hey Abe I want you to go out in the wilderness man I want you to start a country through you and Abraham's like yeah I'm a hundred I don't have any kids God said, yeah, that's, I like working. That's, that's, where I, that's my specialty, all right? He had to figure out the great, greatness of God. I mean, all through the Bible, Moses and Aaron, they had to figure out the greatness of God. They saw a burning bush, but they, they still didn't understand the greatness of God. You get in the New Testament, you got the disciples. These ordinary people, fishermen, tax collectors, that kind of stuff, just regular old people. They had to figure out the greatness of God for God to use them. Spend the timetable forward 2,000 years. We're in 2023, and here we are, and often we don't really understand the greatness of God. And until we get that, we will never be who God wants us to be, we'll never do what God wants us to do, and we will never experience life in its fullest, freest form with Jesus as the champion of our universe. And so we're going to talk about that today, who is your God, because everybody refers to God at some level. An atheist refers to a non-existent God. A believer refers to a saving God. A person who's in between occasionally refers to God, maybe with an expletive connected to it, but everybody at some level refers to God. So we need to know who it is that we as believers, as a church, who it is that we place our forever hope in, God. Who we trust not just today, but tomorrow and eternity uh, in that God. The one that we are unashamed to tell that God's story. We need to know who he is. So the question on the back of your life guide, you ready? Everybody say, "Who is your God?" It's a good question. God's going to reveal to Moses. New Testament tells us everything that happened in the Old Testament is given as an example to help us uh know God more. So we can learn from the experiences of Moses and it's it's kind of fun. It's kind of we're going to have a good time. All right? So here's where it begins. On the back of your life guide, point number 1 is this. God needs no magic. The true and living God doesn't need any magic. Now watch what happens in Exodus chapter 7, beginning in verse 8. It says, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, a pause right here. It begins right here in a dialogue, a conversation with God. They're listening. They're engaged, right? They're they're intrigued at what he's saying. So so, so that's where it begins. We have to begin with a prayer life. That's why we gave out the prayer journals, uh, 21 days of prayer and fasting. That's why, to help us develop a discipline where we're talking to God and hearing from God. So they're hearing from God. God's speaking, man, their ears are twitching. They're hearing. Verse nine, when Pharaoh says, this God's speaking, he says, when Pharaoh says to you, do a miracle and you say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh, it will become like a snake. Now, God needs no magic. I want you to notice this is God telling them what to do. In a magician, in a sorcerer, in uh, someone who is engaged in divination, it's a person telling that God what to do. And often in the church today, we do that in our prayer lives. We feel like we we should be able to tell God what to do. That's not it. God doesn't need any magic. He tells us what to do because he's God. And what what he's going to do is amazing. And so he goes on in verse 10. It says, now when Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh, they did so just as the Lord had commanded. Let me pause again. So it looks like this. When God's gonna do something great in your life, first, you gotta be listening. You gotta hear it. Secondly, you gotta do it. See, there's a difference between listening and hearing. A lot of us hear. We take the information in, we circle it around the channels of our mind, but it never changes our feet, our hands, and our mouth. And listening is when God speaks and we do. And that's what it looks like. Now, let's keep going. Aaron threw down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a snake. This is a cool story verse 11 pharaoh also summoned wise men and sorcerers and magicians now, now listen three different groups he brought in the whole staff and he said all of them of egypt and by their secret arts they did the same thing verse 12 each man threw down his staff and the staffs became snakes now there's a lot of conversation about are these real snakes or is it like sleight of hand are they magicians like you know hocus pocus magicians or are they like the demonic, divination kind of sorcerer magician. Most people believe that these sticks actually became snakes, even at the hands of these sorcerers and magicians. In fact, Jesus warns about the signs, the miracles of demons. Okay, I want you to know the demon is Satan is a powerful being. Now he's under the control of God. He's a create. He's in the created order. He's not the creator. But he has powers that God has given him, and we have to be careful about those. Now, so so the story unfolds like this: uh, Aaron throws his snake down, uh, throws his stick down, and it becomes a snake. Now, what is the snake? Well, most people believe these were cobras. They're worshipped. If you've ever seen any uh, uh, an Egyptian headdress, there's a cobra on there, fangs coming out. You know he's mad and all that. They worshipped this cobra as power and eternity because they shed their skins. So most people believe Aaron said, "Bam!" Cobra pops out now all of a sudden the magicians the sorcerers and the diviners they do the same thing so now you got a whole pile of snakes and and meanwhile you know Aaron is 83 and Moses is 80 and they're like like my grandson used to say I had not seen that coming you know I thought we're going to do a little hokey pokey snake trick you know he's going to let the people go we're going home it's a good day no we throw down one snake they throw down a pile of snakes all right and so you know they're set back a little bit, but they're still trusting God. Now, here is the coolest verse in all of Exodus chapter 7. You ready? The second part of verse 12. But Aaron's staff ate the other staffs. Yeah, who's, yeah, who's the big snake now? All right. Now, you know they went from, they got snakes too. To, yeah, yeah, Knuckles. Two old dudes, 80 and 83, and their snake just ate this pile of snakes. Now, what are these snakes? I didn't know this till just this week. I was studying about snakes. And of all of the species of the snake, to which I hate them all, uh, the cobra is like some other snakes. They eat other snakes. The difference between the cobra and other snakes who eat other snakes, they are cannibalistic. They eat other cobras. And so here is Aaron's cobra. And when, it, when, when does this happen? This is, this is cool. It points to the greatness of God. This happens when a cobra feels threatened by other cobras. And so God is saying, listen, you guys worship your snake, your cobra. You wear the thing on your head. You think that's what gives you eternal life. You want to play cobra? I'm, I'm, I'm king of the cobra. All right? I made the cobra. All right, so I'm going to give you, I'm going to show you how this works. My cobra against your pile of cobras. And it said, what? Aaron's staff or Aaron's snake swallowed up the others. Now, this is a beautiful picture of of what God does and what he's getting ready to do for the next four chapters. Whatever Egypt, whatever Pharaoh calls God, God says, you like that? I got that. I'll give you some of that. In fact, I'm going to smoke you with that. That's how God does things. He says, This is what you want. I'm going to give you more of what you want. It also says to you and to me on a smaller scale that thing that has slithered its way up into the seat of the throne as God in your life, one day He's going to eat it and swallow it into oblivion as well that thing that has just emerged this elevated and, and, and sometimes just inadvertently like, like this accident it just climbed up there and you look up one day and God Yahweh is not your God it's this stuff this other stuff and, and it can have any flavor it can have all kinds of titles but it's risen up in your life how do you know what has replaced Yahweh in your life as God you ready what you think about what you dream about what you have visions about what you talk about where how you spend your time how you spend your resources all of those things point to what has risen up to be God in your life and there's a day coming listen to me church the Bible says when all of them just like the snakes were eaten by Aaron's snake all of that stuff will be gobbled up into oblivion and it looks like this first Corinthians chapter 3 Paul says in verse 11 for no one can lay any foundation other than what is being laid which is in Jesus Christ he says let me just tell you straight You wanna build your life, you wanna build your forever, you wanna build your walk with God, you wanna have an impact, a real impact in this world, it has to be built on Jesus Christ. Now he goes on, he says this in verse 12, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay or straw, each builder's work will be plainly seen. For the day will make it clear because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what kind of work each has done. If, If what someone has built survives he will receive a that's good news he says if someone's work is burned up he will suffer loss he will himself be saved but only as through the fire there is a day coming for every single person look at the person next to you he said i think he's talking about you <laughs> i just think he's talking about you okay there's a day coming when every single person regardless of where you land in your belief system you're an atheist you're a follower of jesus you're a committed follower of jesus you're an in and out committed follower of jesus you're you're a ceo christmas easter only kind of a christian wherever you land doesn't matter okay maybe you're an American, maybe you're a Hispanic, maybe you're from Africa, maybe from wherever you're from, all of us, all of us, it doesn't matter the color of our hair, color of our skin, our, our DNA strand, none of that. So all of us, every single person who's ever lived on the planet will stand before God, Jesus as judge, and go through what he calls the refiner's fire. And it will burn away everything that's not built on Jesus Christ. And he even says, and some of us who are real believers, but we never really did anything for Jesus, we're going to come out on the other side like we've been to a weenie roast smelling like smoke. We ain't got no rewards. We got nothing given to us to place at the feet of Jesus. We just smell like smoke because we just got out of the fire, but we survived. But all of it will be burned away except that which is built on Jesus Christ. And so I want to be clear. God now is demonstrating to Moses and Aaron and to Pharaoh and to Egypt and to Israel and to us, the greatness of who your God is, the greatness of who my God is, a God that, man, we can just hang on to, a bold, a big, out of, out of our dimensional zone, a beyond our description, okay? He's that God, and he's trying to show himself to us. He's not required to do that. He doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't owe you a miracle, doesn't owe me a miracle. He doesn't need to give you a sign. He doesn't need to give me a sign. He's given us enough signs. He's shown us already. We see it in this thing we call life. We see it in the thing called love. We see it in all of creation. We see it in redemption. We see it in adoption. We see it when we look at the night sky in the universe. He owes us nothing else. Your God, my God, the God is alive and well, and he is revealing his glory to us every day. The problem is we're always looking in the wrong direction. Amen? Six of us agree. It's good. That's all I need to go on. It's true. We're always looking in the wrong direction. We're all, always listening to the wrong voices, and we miss the greatness of who, we, of who he is. And so we just question God all the time, and it's not new. Pharaoh had questions. He said, show me a sign. 3,500 years ago, Pharaoh said, saying, you, okay, you got a gun? Show me the sign. Spin it forward 2,000 years ago. Jesus steps onto the, to the scene. God in the flesh, the incarnate, God. And and they begin to ask him, if you're God, give us a sign. In fact, in John chapter two, verse 18, it says, the Jews said to Jesus, what sign do you show us as your authority for doing these things? In John chapter six, verse 30. So they said to Jesus, what then do you do for a sign that we may see and believe? What work do you do? Do you perform? Jesus performed all kinds of miracles. Listen to me. A sign will never convince you that God is God because a sign is flesh walking by sight, seeing something. God knows if he gave you a sign today, if he gave you a supernatural sign today, tomorrow, you'd be looking for another sign. Because belief in God does not come by what we see. Belief in God comes through faith. That's the soul being of who we are, not the flesh being, okay? You can't understand God logically. You can't understand God intellectually but you can understand him by faith because inside of every single person who's ever walked on the planet, there's a hole, a vacuum, and it's shaped like God, and it longs to feel that, and we try, to, we try to put square pegs in round holes every day. Meanwhile, God says nothing's gonna fit. Nothing's gonna fill you. Nothing's gonna satisfy you. Nothing's gonna heal you but me because I'm God, and all that other stuff is, is the created order. I am the creator And so that's what God wants in your life and my life. Now, here's what happens when he reveals himself. God tells us, because God knows everything. And he already gives a revelation about how we do with the things that he shows us. He says in Romans 1, verse 20, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and his divine nature, they have been clearly perceived being understood by what has been made so that they are without excuse. God says everybody who's ever walked on the planet knows there's a God. They may deny him, they may not know him, they may not receive him, but they know it. He's too too big, too vast, too amazing for us not to know that he's out there. Verse 21, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their reasonings and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise now, they became fools. Verse 23, and they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image, for the form of corruptible mankind, or birds, or four-footed animals, or crawling creatures. And so it was. That's how Pharaoh was, and often that's how we are. Who's your God? Who's your God? He finishes up this part in verse 13. He says, but Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he did not listen to God. And we talked about that word hard. It's not God made his heart hard. It doesn't mean he was, you know, just a, just a loving Pharaoh, you know. he wasn't. He was hard. He was, he, was, he was a slave master of a nation. He thought he was God. And God said, you have a hard heart. I'm going to let you have what you want. And so he gave him over to that. That's what it means. Now, now what's going to happen next is God is going to reveal himself to Pharaoh to Moses, to Aaron, to Egypt, to Israel, to us. He's going to reveal himself through 10 plagues. I want you to understand, each one of these plagues are very specific plagues given by God toward a particular lowercase g God in Egypt. Okay? Particular. God knows what he's doing. (laughs) Let me just say this. Not in my notes. If you have a God in your life, he has a very particular way to punch it right in the mouth. You give him enough time, he'll do that. And that's what he's going to do to Pharaoh right now. Now, now God is the living water, point number two. This is plague number one. The water's turned to blood. Listen to what happens. It's a long scripture, we're going to read it because it's, it's beautiful. It says, the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard and he refuses to release the people. So go to Pharaoh in the morning when he goes out to the water and position yourself to meet him by the edge of the Nile and take in your hand the staff that was turned into a snake and tell him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has sent me to you to say, release my people that they may serve me in the wilderness. But until now you have not listened. Verse 17, this is what the Lord has said. By this, you will know that I am the Lord and I am going to strike the water of the Nile with the staff that is in my hand And it will be turned into blood. Fish in the Nile will die. The Nile will stink. And the Egyptians will be unable to drink from the Nile. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron to take your staff, stretch it out uh, over the Egypt's waters, over their rivers, over their canals, over their ponds, and over their reservoirs, so it becomes blood. And there will be blood everywhere in the land of Egypt, even in the wooden and stone containers. Verse 20, Moses and Aaron did so just as the Lord had commanded. He raised the staff, struck the water that was in the Nile, Right before the eyes of Pharaoh and his servants, and all the water that was in the Nile was turned to blood. When the fish that were in the Nile died, the Nile began to stink. So the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood everywhere in the land of Egypt. But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts, and so Pharaoh's heart remained hard. And he refused to listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had predicted. And Pharaoh turned and went into his house. He did not pay attention to this. And all the Egyptians dug around the Nile for water to drink because they could not drink the water of the Nile. Pharaoh's heart is hard. He just walks away. And God says, you have a hard heart. It's going to play into my sovereign favor. I'm going to use your hard heart to demonstrate myself in ten plagues. And ultimately, you will do exactly what I want you to do as a puppet in my hands. That's what's going on. That's what's at play right here. Now, listen to me. That's a, that's a crazy story, right? Where all of the water in Egypt turns to blood. Now, why did he do that? Why did he turn the water in the Nile to blood? Why did he choose the Nile? Because the Nile River was the God of Egypt over life, sustenance, prosperity, and provision. You see, they believed that the Nile River every year, and it did, it would flood. And when it when it overran the banks of, it, of of the river shore, it would carry nutrients that it had carried from the mountain and distribute it on the land. And when it did, it would fertilize the land so it would be more fertile to grow greater crops in the coming year. And so they also looked at the river and said, this is a barrier for enemies. You're on one side, they have to cross the river to get to you. It makes them an easy target. And so they worshiped the Nile. Now, they didn't just go down and bow down by the water. They erected a God, just like we read in Romans. They weren't satisfied in the invisible God who, in his, uh, in, because of things that are visible, we can know more about his invisible nature. They didn't want that God. They wanted a tangible God. A hands and feet God, a God they could look at, a God they could hold on to, a God that they could stare at and worship. And so what they do? They created their own little God and he had a name. And you know what the name of the God of the Nile is? Are you ready? Happy. H-A-P-P-I, not Y, but it's still happy. Now, this is what's amazing. Happy God is the God of the Nile River. He's known as the father of gods. He's the one who brings water down to Egypt for life and fertility. He's the sustainer of life, God. What did happy look like? You can look this up. Happy was a bearded man with a woman's breast and a pregnant belly. Don't sound too happy to me. In fact, I could give him another name, but I wouldn't know which pronoun would be appropriate. So I can't give him another name. And we look at that and we say, that's silliness. It's silliness. You watch the news? It's the world we live in. Confusion. And we just embrace this garbage, okay? And here's what's sad. You can understand why a university might embrace something like that. You can understand why a culture might embrace something like that. You can understand why someone who's, uh, who is lost and separated from God might embrace someone like that or somebody who has has psychological issues might embrace something like that but in 2023 we live in a world that all over this nation and around the world there are churches who embrace stuff like that and I'm telling you it's not going to happen here and if it makes you uncomfortable you need to meet Jesus or you need to find somewhere else to be because we're not embracing garbage we're embracing truth And it doesn't look like a bearded man with a woman's breast and a pregnant belly. Okay? Can we agree to that? Say, yes, we can. Yes, we can. It's true. Now, God is addressing them. God is punching Pharaoh in the mouth of his belief. All right? Now, I kept studying, and this is what it looks like. God's saying, you worship the Nile. I formed the H2O molecules that you call the Nile. I formed and fashioned the rocks and the dirt that it slides across to get to you. I am the God of the Nile and your little crazy looking creature that you call happy is not God. He's a fraud. He's a joke. He is, he's nothing before me. Now, as I was studying, this is interesting. I was encouraged at first to see that National Geographic Believes in the 10 plagues. Did you know that? They did a documentary. They believe the 10 plagues are real. Not only that, they explained for us ignorant people who believe the Bible how they really came into being. I want you to know here's where the blood Nile happened. There was a thing that happened 3,500 years ago. It was called, I'm not making this up. National Geographic called it a season of global warming. Seriously. And it dried up most of the water in the Nile. And it left a sludge, a mud. And in this mud, it was conducive and a perfect environment for a red-toned, a red-hued algae to grow. And so this algae just grew. And when you looked at it from a distance, it was toxic. And it killed the life. But when you looked at it, it looked red in appearance. And I'm thinking, well, why did it God send Aaron with Moses? Because he could have sent Al Gore with Moses, and Moses would have known what this was all about. God didn't send Al Gore because Al Gore is a nut. God sent Aaron and Moses, and he Turned it to blood. People want to explain the greatness of God. Listen, when we want to naturally define the supernatural, we get real silly. We just look ignorant. We look at what, as the Bible calls it, foolish before a great God. So now you know the rest of the story. This is not the last time, by the way, God will use blood, which is really cool. God used blood in the Old Testament in this particular case, as judgment. The Nile turned into blood, is judgment on that people. When you read Revelation 16, listen to this, it says next, this is Revelation, the last book, chapter 16, verse three says, next the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea and it turned to blood, like that of a corpse and every living creature that is, that is in the sea died. He goes on and on about this blood, this, uh, this bowl being poured out over all the waters. So God has in the Old Testament, blood is a curse. God has in Revelation, the final book, blood is a curse. And right in the middle of that, he has blood, the blood of Jesus as redemption, as grace, as mercy, as salvation. I'm telling you, man, God is an amazing God who does things beyond anything we can imagine, understand, or even describe. We don't have a vocabulary to even define the greatness of who this God is. And I want you and I want me to be reminded who our God is. He's bigger than we know, bigger than we understand. Chapter seven, verse 25, it says seven days passed before Moses would speak to Pharaoh again. Now we're gonna to go to the third point, who's your God? Exodus chapter eight, this is the plague of the frogs. Then the Lord said to Moses, first one of chapter eight, go to Pharaoh and tell him, this is what the Lord has said, release my people in order that they may serve me. I wanna want pause right here. I want you to notice as we read this text that God wants Pharaoh to release his people for a purpose. And the purpose is not so they can walk in freedom and liberty to make up their own rules and do what they want to do. It's very simple. He said, I want you to release my people. Are you ready? So they can serve me. God said, I didn't create them to serve some artificial lowercase g god named pharaoh or some artificial official statue i created mankind to serve me their creator the true and living i want you to know today jesus set you free if you're born again not to serve yourself and your own desires or or some idea or agenda god sets you free to serve him you need to be serving him You need to be telling people the story of God. You need to be a living out your life, serving God in all that you do. Verse two, but if you refuse refuse to release them, then I'm going to plague all the territory with frogs. The Nile will swarm with frogs and they'll come up and go into your house, in your bedroom and into your bed. In the houses of your servants and your people, in your ovens, in your kneading troughs, frogs will come up against you, your people and all your servants. And the Lord spoke to Moses, tell Aaron, extend your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the canals and over the ponds, bring the frogs up over the land of Egypt. So Aaron extended his hand over the waters of Egypt and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. The magicians did the same with their secret arts and brought up frogs onto the land of Egypt too. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron said, pray to the Lord that he may take the frogs away from my people and I will release the people and they may sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, you may have the honor over me When shall I pray for you, your servants and your people, for the frogs to be removed from you and your houses, so that they will be left only in the Nile? And Pharaoh said, Tomorrow. And Moses said, It will be as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs will depart from you, your houses, your servants, your people. They'll be left only in the Nile. Then Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried to the Lord because of the frogs that he had brought on Pharaoh. And the Lord did as Moses asked. The frogs died in the houses, the village in the fields. The Egyptians then piled them in countless piles and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart again and did not listen to them just as the Lord had predicted. Plague number two, frogs. Now now you know why he chose the Nile River. Why did he choose the frogs? Why use the frogs? because frogs were worshiped in Egypt. They had a frog God. And this frog God was so divine and set apart to them that it was a corporal and capital offense to kill a frog. Did you know that? You kill a frog, they put you in jail And, and you could be killed for killing a frog. And we say, they're nuts. They've lost their minds, right? We live in America, modern day Egypt. What do we do? We murder in America. We abort almost a million babies this year. 25% approximately of all the conceptions in America this year, we will terminate through abortion. Many of those funded with government resources. And we defend it. Oh, we champion it. Meanwhile, if you don't feed your dog, they'll put you in jail. You don't feed your horse, they'll lock you up. I see this commercial all the time, drives me nuts. Sad song playing, they'll show a hungry little puppy and they'll say, puppies are dying all over America. If you'll send $19 a month, you can save puppies. We're aborting babies. Now don't get me wrong, you should feed your puppy. You should feed your horse the cat well that's up to you you should feed your animals okay take care of your pets that's awesome there's nothing wrong with that but we've lost our minds we we look back at egypt and say they worshiped a frog we worship the animal kingdom and we abort babies we've lost our minds this is a real god in egypt listen to me what they built as the god to represent the frog god was had a name which was hecked and this was a female body with a frog head now historians say the way she got her name was the first person that saw her said what the heck now that's not true I made that up that's not true that is not true that's not scripture it's not history it's just ignorance okay but that's what I would say okay got a a woman's body and a frog head and we're going to worship that to represent the frogs okay That's what this culture looked like. And it's into this culture that God says, I showed you the Nile. You like frogs? I got frogs. I got frogs. When you open up your stove to bake some cookies, ribbit. You step into the shower, ribbit. You open up your bread box, ribbit. We're going to be piles of frogs. I'm going to show you some frogs. And then they're all going to die. And you can figure out what to do with your frogs. Okay, and you can blame me for killing the frogs because you told me to kill the frogs. You're just gonna realize how ignorant you are. Now, National Geographic comes in for us to help us understand the silliness of this biblical story. National Geographic says, you see, when the red tide hit the Nile and the sludge emerged and, the, and all that algae uh, killed all the fish, frogs were resilient to that particular algae. And frogs, I don't know if you know this, mom. Frogs reproduce more rapidly when in duress and stress You knew this, see, because we're, we're right like that, see so, so now we know why the frogs came Because they're in stress of, of the water drying up And that terrible red colored algae And so they just made all kinds of frogs And they didn't have anywhere to go because there was no water there So they went into Egypt And the only thing about that story that's a little peculiar Is they were allowed to go in Egypt where Egyptians were and where Pharaoh was but the frogs weren't allowed to go to Goshen where the Israelites were. I don't know those crazy frogs, they knew, they knew who liked them. So that's where they went, I guess, okay? Now that's the world that we live in. So today, you may be here and and there's things that have climbed out of the mud of life. And it's jumped up on the throne of your life maybe inadvertently, maybe intentionally. You just really didn't care. You didn't guard yourself. And it is on this day that you you don't know who God is. I want to tell you, God is the true and living, eternal Yahweh, creator and sustainer of everything. The one who into ex nihilo in Latin, out of nothing, into nothingness at all, He spoke everything that you and I know into existence. He's that God. He wants you to know him like that. He wants him to know that no matter what comes into your world that wants to take, wants to champion your mind and your resources and your life, he wants to be above that. He he wants to be the God that you look to above that. And so often in our lives, things just climb up onto the throne of our life. I want you to know God is not your children. God is not your grandchildren. God's not social media. God's not your resources. God's not your work or your career, your occupation. God's not the thing that you love. God is God and there's nothing like him. And he wants you to know him that way. He wants you to every day wake up and say, "Woohoo, God, it's a new day. You woke me up. We're gonna do something today. And God wants you to walk hand in hand hand with him God wants to reveal that himself to you what's that look like this is funny this week on the heels of everything cool God's doing Kendra and I were in the car we we're coming back from dinner and I looked up and there's a full moon and eh, maybe it wasn't completely full don't look at your little calendar zodiac or whatever but it was full enough for me it was so full that it was glowing orange and I'm not sure but I think it was going to land in fountain city because I was looking over this way and it's like right there. It's like right at the back of the room. You know, that kind of moon that you just, I mean, it's like, I think I can hit it with a golf ball. It's like right there, but it wasn't. It was 250,000 miles from me. And it's screaming the glory of God. It's screaming at me. Look at this, look at this. And I'm looking, I'm thinking, I told Kendra, I said, look at that moon. It's it's in somebody's yard. Look at that, 250,000 miles. From us and it's reflecting the Sun which is 93 million miles away and in the middle we're on this rock called earth and the moon is moving at 2300 miles per hour okay and we're moving at 67,000 miles per hour screaming through the sky orbiting the Sun and I'm sitting there thinking, good land. And we're riding in an SUV with heated seats, with a cell phone in our pocket, and Kendra's looking at it all through contact lenses. And it dawned on me, the God who spoke all of that into place out of nothing is the same God who ordained the technology of a cell phone, and the lens of her contact. The God of the universally large and the God of the infinitesimally small is the same God. And He loves you enough to die on a cross for you. You Can't beat that story. And it's the truth. You may be here today and you've walked in the shoes in the sandals of Pharaoh and you've allowed circumstances or you've allowed difficult times in your life or you've allowed voices to come into your mind and your spirit and hard, your heart is hard toward God. That's a choice you make. At some point, that hard heart can be a choice that God makes for you but we're here today and the opportunity to allow God to replace that stony heart with a flesh heart is here and he'll do that for you you may be here and you and you know God but it's been a while and you haven't been engaged in the journey well and you haven't pursued God you haven't had open conversation through prayer with him you hadn't been in his word and he's just kind of become a distant smaller God God wants you to know him in a better way. He wants you to understand and grab onto, with your spirit, the vast nature of who he is. He wants you to know him that way. I want you to bow your heads today. Just close your eyes. We're not gonna sneak up on you and take your wallet. I want you to know, every single person in here, God loves you so much that he came to this earth, with one purpose. He had one intention and he had one person in mind and that person was you. Sure, he came corporately for all of us, for the whole world, but he came for you by name. And he knows you, he created you, while yet in your mother's womb, he knew you. He formed you, he fashioned you with a particular purpose and a calling. He wants to walk with you from this very day through all of eternity. You say, well, How does that happen in my life? You simply yield. You simply say, God, I believe you, (laughs) you nailed me. I am a sinner, I know I have imperfections, I know I've messed it all up. And so God, I believe now that you know that, but you love me anyway. I believe you came to this earth and died for me. I want Jesus to come into my life and just radically save me. But just like you radically were delivering and redeeming and saving Israel, I understand that you you will save me so I can serve you. I want that, I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my savior. I wanna live for you from this day forward. And for those of us that already know him, it's time that we say, God, let me dive in deeper. I wanna make a splash for your glory. Help me live knowing the greatness of who you are. God, I invite you to get back up on the throne where you belong in my life, and I'll give you praise for it. Lord, we thank you for this day. I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for this incredible story about your greatness revealed to these two old guys, Moses and Aaron. I thank you that you revealed yourself to all of those people who thought they had it figured out, to Pharaoh, to his magicians and sorcerers, to all of Egypt who worshiped other gods. I thank you for revealing yourself to Israel who who had forgotten and missed the opportunity to know you while in bondage. God, I thank you that on this very day, 3,500 years after that event, we can still look up to you and invite you to reveal yourself in a fresh way so we can live for you. We give you praise because it's all about you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.